It's a big moment for us. When we come together like this and remember, as the choir so beautifully reminded us, that that's part of what we do here. When we come to remember, we're forced to come to grips with the fact that we're just the latest generation. None of us, I don't think, would call ourselves the greatest generation of this church, but we are the latest. And we should always strive to be the greatest and to equip the next generation to be the greatest and then the next generation to be the greatest, et cetera, et cetera. It's a big moment for us. As I have said for five years with you, well, I've said two things. First of all, I've tried to say all along, I don't want to be the guy that blows this thing up. Um, we'll leave that discussion for other meetings, but uh, I also like to remind us that we are a bridge generation. We have been handed a trust, and on this day, we have in multiple ways reminded ourselves that we've been handed a trust. And there were those who came before us who handed us this thing called First Baptist Church, which is more than just an organization. It's an organism. And for 140 years, it's been faithful through the years. This pulpit reminds me of that. I, I stand behind this and I think of the great men of God who have stood here. Not necessarily in this place, but behind this pulpit. Sermons that were preached during times of world war. During times of economic disaster. During times of incredible prosperity. And the men who have stood behind this pulpit as pastors of this church, as preachers of the word here, have handed me and us a trust. And there will come a time when no one who is in this building today will be alive. Unless Jesus comes back first, all of us will go the way of the world and we will hand this enterprise off to the next generation. What should we teach them? What should we do with what we have been given? I want you to take your Bibles and go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. As you're turning to 1 Corinthians 13, you may already be familiar with the passage enough to know that that's what some people call the love chapter. Uh, I would probably argue that every page of Scripture is the love chapter, but that's a different discussion, I guess. We talk about love a lot in our world. Let me, take, let me just give you a little bit of homework this week. Listen to whatever kind of music you like to listen to. And I'm talking secular music at this point. And listen for how common it is for songs to talk about love. Let me go to that one group that some would say is the greatest band of all times. I don't personally agree with that, but it's just an opinion. But let's go to that band. Now, some of you, okay, let me, I'm going to have to explain this, okay? Because first of all, I'm talking to a church crowd, so you may not know who the Beatles are. <laughs> Were. Uh, and I'm also talking to some people here who, who are not nearly as old as I am and you don't know who the Beatles are or who the Beatles were. So some say that the Beatles were the greatest band of all times. I, I think that that's probably a discussion better left to experts. But I would suggest to you this, you have to at least acknowledge that they had one of the most profound impacts on culture 
across the world as anybody ever has as a band is concerned. And their songs, though musically progressive for their time, are relatively simple most of the time. I don't know about the music and the chords and all that, but their words are. And so, for instance, one of the songs that the Beatles are known for is the one that is entitled, All I Need is Love. I'm going to tell you, that is the most monotonous song on all the planet. It's just this same phrase or a a turn on the same phrase over and over and over again. Here's what that phrase is. All I need is love. It's a good thing they titled that because we might not have known what the song was about. (laughs) Somebody asked John Lennon one time, who was the one who wrote that song, what were you thinking about when you wrote it? In a moment of candor, he said, I like slogans. I like advertising. Well, he certainly got a slogan out of it. Brian Epstein, who was their manager, had a little more to say about it. Here's what he said, and I quote, it was an inspired song, and they really wanted to give the world a message. The nice thing about it is that it cannot be misinterpreted. It's a clear message saying that love is everything. Well, they may have been pioneers in music, but they had a lot to learn about love. Maybe, maybe they would have been, the Beatles that is, maybe they would have benefited by attending a healthy church. Because healthy churches prioritize love. We're in 1 Corinthians 13. I'm gonna, I intend to be fairly brief today. That means that you'll get out at the normal time (laughs) or earlier. I just want to highlight a couple of things. We've been in this passage, this this, uh, series actually. I've called it, I've I've called it, it, uh, I have called it inside out. We're looking at characteristics of healthy churches as they function internally, the characteristics that we carry as individuals, but also as a gathered group. And as we function well with these priorities, these characteristics inside the church, it definitively impacts and enhances our posture outside the church in the community. If that was ever true, it certainly is true when it comes to love. What is it that drove Dr. Baines way back in the late 19th century, what is it that drove him to get on a train, to come out here, to step off of that train onto the platform of the depot that was labeled with the city of El Paso on it? What caused him to drop everything else and come out here? And I would suggest to you that he was driven by the love of Jesus Christ and the life that he offers. That's not just true of Dr. Baines. That's true of every beginning charter member of this church. I've had the privilege of knowing in in five years' time as I've worked my way through our membership as much as I can, especially those who can't come to church anymore. And I go and I sit in their homes, and I've done this recently as I go sit in their homes and I ask them questions about how was church back then when you were part of it? Amazing discussions. I could just sit and listen for days. What drove them? Why are we still here 140 years into the process? How do we make sure that we make it to the next level? 
I think Paul emphasizes for them and for us that if we emphasize love, the love of God, the love for God, and the love for people, that that keeps us in the center of the channel of God's blessing. Because this is an incredible love that we share. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we begin reading today in verse 4. Actually, I could back up and read from the very beginning. But before I begin, let me just remind you that this is in a section. It starts over in chapter 10 and it goes through chapter 14. And this is a section where the Apostle Paul is writing to this really dysfunctional church. And he, not us. He's writing to this church, first century Corinth, and their churches, house churches that were there, that were getting so many things wrong. And he writes to emphasize the things that are right. And so we celebrate those things as characteristics that we emphasize to remain a healthy church. And right in the middle of that discussion, chapter 10 through chapter 14, Paul stops and he says, here, let's talk about love. Let's talk about the mortar that holds the bricks together. Let's talk about the glue that holds us in the center of where God would have us to be. Let's talk about love. John Lennon would be sorely disappointed to know how badly he missed what love was all about. And so here's what we read. Paul says, I, uh, excuse me, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Well, if love is that important, maybe we should come to understand what it means. This is where I think you'll find if in that homework assignment I gave you about working through the, the songs from the various uh, genres of music that are out there in popular culture today. Uh, this is where we start getting a little bit off with them because love in our world today tends to be a commodity that we enjoy as consumers. Much of the time when love is discussed in our world, it's talking about what I receive from somebody. Oh, you know, I, I've used this as an example before, but I just can't find a better one. Say, oh, I just love her so much. And so the preacher in premarital counseling says, why? Why? And the answer always is some kind of centered on or an offshoot of, well, she just makes me feel so happy. 
Okay, well, you'll get over that. (laughs) You don't believe that. Just leave the toothpaste top off of the container. (laughs) See what happens. That doesn't happen in our house, but maybe somebody else's. So much of our world's perspective on this, this is, this is baked into the human condition. The need for love, the need to give love is baked into the human condition. But when we get off base on what the fundamental nature of it is, then we're hard pressed to find how it's functional in our society. And so rather than being a consumable thing, Love, really, the kind of love we find Paul talking about here, biblical love, the God kind of love, is an investment. It's not what she does that makes me feel loved. It is the investment that I make in her. Jesus Christ is the best example. We should expect that, right? If this is a God kind of love, Jesus as the son of God, God in the flesh, modeling the love of God. John, what was that? John three, what's that? 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave. Love is for giving. So we begin there. Love is an investment but it is a selfless investment. I give this, I'll use my marriage with Teresa. We've been married, if, unless something happens where you know, she cuts me in the night or something, uh, we'll be 41 years in October. Now, that's 41 years of practice in perfecting the investment of self into one another. Jesus has the example. God loved the world. He gave Jesus. Jesus came voluntarily. We could talk about that from Philippians and Colossians and some other places. And he gave himself that investment in humanity. And in doing so, he purchased for us what we could never get for ourselves, which is forgiveness of sin, which is a restored relationship for that for which we were created, that sin blocks. Your sin, the nature that you are born with, is selfish. If you don't believe that, go hang around some newborn for a couple of days and see how selfish they are. My grandchildren are are like that. That's because of Teresa's side of the family. They're just (laughs) selfish. Just like my side of the family is selfish. All of us are born that way. The message of the gospel is grounded in love. Where God says, you need help. God looks at you in your sin condition and the curse of sin. And the first thought is, that's not what I created them for. I created them for a relationship with me. So when we talk about our mission, our vision, which is to connect people with the love and the life of Jesus Christ, love goes first. Because when we understand the love of God for us, it opens wide the opportunity for the life of God that he gives us. So when we go down 
to 9th Street and send those people from our church who are part of that ministry. And they go down to some of the people in this city who probably most days feel the least loved of this population. And they stretch across those boundaries that society seems to set up and our people reach across and say, Jesus loves you and I love you. And here's life. What caused Dr. Baines to get off of the train and come out here and set up? (laughs) I love that, that comment that was made. This place is wicked. It's not the sun city, it's sin city. Well, now Las Vegas stole that from us, apparently. We, we might want to not worry about that. So we, we understand that. We look backwards. We celebrate the trust that we've been given. Dr. Ford, you saw him, you know, breaking ground for parts of this building that we're in. What caused him to give his life to the ministry? What about those people that have populated the chairs, the pews of First Baptist Church through the years? Why? Because the love of God compels us. By now, Carmen, who is translating into Spanish, is looking at the notes I sent her and she's going, that's not in here. (laughs) But I'm done. I, I just think that's the message for the day. That we come back on a day when we remember, we also remember not to forget. We don't remember just for the sake of nostalgia. I'm not a nostalgic kind of guy. Okay, I'm just not. But I love history. And I love history of our church. As we look backwards, and I'm looking at faces out here, and I'm seeing people who have been key leaders in this church, but I'm also looking at people who have just been faithful members day after year after decade. Compelled by the love of God. And I close by saying this, don't give up. The need for a body of Christ to be faithful in its time is more pronounced today than it was even back when this church started. Our society, well, we're just, I'll just kind of be We're just jacked up. (laughs) Our society is just a mess. And people want to be loved. And here's the other part of what Paul had to say. When we get love right inside the church, as I think this church does a great job at loving one another, as we get that right, a world that is searching for love out there can't help but notice us. We are conspicuous in our love living. And it opens the door for you and for me as a matter of daily living to point people to the love and the life of Jesus Christ. So I say, unless Jesus comes back 140 years from today, 
May there be that group of people who are faithful in their day, who look back to us and say, thank you for your faithfulness. You know, you know that that doesn't just happen. We have to choose that every day and every year. And every anniversary celebration that we have like this should be a reminder that this is a trust. And we're going to hand something off to the next generation. Don't hand them something that causes them to look at us and go, what in the world were you thinking? God bless you. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ and his love, I've just spent, I don't know, 15 minutes, 20 minutes or so underscoring this truth. You don't want to live without the love of Jesus. You may not understand it enough to even know that yet, but the love of Jesus is so incredible and so investing in you that you can't believe the kind of life that comes with it. Jesus actually said that in John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief, that's the enemy, Satan, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. You want to know how true that is? Look at the destroyed lives that are outside. Actually, you don't even have to look outside. Many of us inside had that life, a destroyed, burned to the ground kind of life. That's my testimony. I know that's some of your testimony. Okay, I'll be honest with you. That's everybody's testimony. Thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy, but Jesus said, I have come that you may have life that'll blow your mind. So why would you not at least ask a question about how to get that life? That's what the invitation time is for. We want to give you the opportunity to respond to the call of life that Jesus gives that is grounded in God's love and his investment in you. And if you don't know that life, the next five minutes is probably the most important five minutes of your week, maybe of your life. Let's pray. And so, Father, we recognize that this is a big moment for us. Anytime we come and gather together as the church, the body of Christ in this particular location, we come celebrating the love and the life that Jesus gives us that originated in your heart for us. And we are so grateful. We ask that you would have your way with us right now, that as people are beginning to transition into the rest of their day, that we would do the spiritual business of the moment, that your spirit would speak with such authority and such intensity in their lives right now that not a single one of us would walk out of here today without Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And so we give you this time. We ask that you be glorified in it, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. This invitation also, by the way, is if you're here and you're going, I didn't know all this about this church. I think this is the kind of church I want to be part of. This is the kind of church we want you to be part of. And so our invitation to you, if you feel like God is putting you here as a member to come and join them, we just invite you to come make that decision as well. We'll talk about how to do that. But this is a time for us all to make decisions based on what we've been encountered by God with today. 
So as we stand and sing, that's the intent. Let's go. Oh, to Jesus I surrender all to him I freely Day.